You're listening to Two for Tea. I'm your host, Iona Italia, and I'm assisted behind the scenes by my sound engineer, Justin Ward. This is a podcast about politics, society, science, and art, and about how everyone is wrong apart from us. I hope to provide a forum for calm, reasonable voices from across the political spectrum and counter the current atmosphere of frenzied partisanship and hysteria. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Two for Tea, and I'm your host, Iona Italia. And my guests this week are Jack Rod and Mansa Cater. Jack uh, studied maths, and he is an international chess master and international um, arbiter. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, I'll ask you in a moment. And uh, I have had the honor of, of uh, being beaten by, J- by Jack in a chess game I played together with my boyfriend and my boyfriend's friend, who's also a chess player. Uh, and uh, I mean, I didn't contribute very much, but Jack beat us extremely easily. Uh, in fact, suddenly some, some, everything seemed to be going wrong. And then <laughs> and, and then they, we resigned. And uh, Mansa is the pseudonym of a uh, someone who works in the corporate world with big data and enterprise systems. His background is in computer science, and he's a national chess master. And in the top 7,000 Blitz players on Lee Chess and Chess.com. And I am in the top 95% of players on Lee Chess. <laughs> uh, um, one could phrase that differently, but I choose to phrase it that way. Um, <laughs> welcome, both of you. So, um, I'd like to begin by asking you both, first of all, when did you first uh, start chess and were you hooked on it right away or did it take a while Um, and how did it uh, change your life? Let's start with uh, Jack, yeah. Right, so I was six when I started playing. Um, I think... My parents got a whole load of books from a jumble sale, and one of them was a book on how to play chess. And I read it and apparently announced that I knew how to play chess now. Uh, and did you? Yes, yes. Uh, yes, it was something I immediately took to. I've been play- playing quite actively ever since. Uh, I, I had a similar experience to yours, Iona. Um, I learned when I was 12, and... Barely played, played a couple games here and there. And then at uh, 17, I went on a couple websites and I saw chess and I thought, oh, this looks interesting. And then I thought, hey, I'm going to go to the chess club and see how it goes. Went to the chess club and got destroyed. Um, Every single person beat me up. Uh, But I am obsessive. And so immediately after leaving the chess club, I went to the library and I borrowed about 12 chess books. And this was back in the day where we didn't have computers everywhere. Um, and I just dove into chess. And from there, it was constant um, reading, studying, playing, uh, until I was able to go back to that chess club and beat everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. 
Um, it's it's not so relevant, but I'll just uh, state my history with chess, uh, which is very recent. Um, so I did know how all the pieces moved. Um, I don't think I knew the en passant rule, but apart from that, I understood how all the pieces moved and things. And I used to very occasionally um, pretend to play chess with a friend of mine when I lived in Germany because we really enjoyed playing um, this German card game called Scott, which is a version of bridge adapted for three players. And so we would go to bars and we were looking for a third player. And when we got out the chessboard and started playing chess, we'd immediately be surrounded by German men who were watching us play chess. And then we would confess that we didn't actually want to play chess, but we wanted to play Scott and we'd get one of them to play Scott with us. I don't know why we use such an elaborate ruse, why we didn't just go up to people and ask them if they wanted to play Scott. But apart from that, I never actually attempted to play and I had sort of no idea how it was played until um, several things happen simultaneously. One was that the I started uh, dating my boyfriend, who is a chess coach, uh, and who remembers playing a, a game against you, Jack, when you were, I think, six or seven. Um, yeah. And um, I also, The Queen's Gambit was on TV, and my best friend sent me the novel and told me to read the novel first. So I read the novel, and then I watched the BBC series. And my best friend, Jason, um, fell completely in love with Beth Harmon, Anya Taylor-Joy's character in The Queen's Gambit, and decided to take up chess as a result. And I I was resistant for a couple of months because I thought um, I would never be able to play at all because I'm not a mathematically minded person. I'm a very kind of touchy-feely ooey gooey artsy type and um and also I feared that it would be uh very boring. But then I decided that I should give it a go because um since my boyfriend was a chess coach and um I at first I was just completely frustrated because I couldn't see how to ever beat anybody. And then um about a month ago, I checkmated somebody on Lee Chess, and since then I've been addicted. I think, and I think I haven't, uh, I haven't checkmated many other people since then. Most of my wins have been people losing on time or resigning or um, just blundering, basically. But uh, and now I'm now I'm losing every game again on on Lee Chess. There was a halcyon period when I was winning all my games, and then I think my rating went up, and now I'm losing all, losing all games uh, now. But now I'm extremely hooked. Yeah. So um, that's what's happened. So um, I, um, I guess the first one is um, how how do you think that studying chess can benefit people? I.e., what are the psychological or life lessons or um are there are there transferable skills that you've noticed from chess or things that chess has sort of taught you it's an interesting question and i'm not sure because it's the sort of thing where i don't i don't 
where I don't necessarily know which way the correlation runs. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said that um, chess is quite good preparation for taking exams. Ah, because you have to stay calm under pressure? Yes, and you have to um, perform on your own without being able to access anything else under a time limit. Mm. For me, so I used to coach uh, kids at chess, um, and I think chess actually does a really good job of um, preparing us for the rest of our life. Um, in in many ways, some of the things I like about chess is it forces you to be introspective, to understand uh, who you are, um, why you're thinking something, uh, reflect on it. Um, and I actually used to tell my students chess actually helps you to understand yourself because I was able to figure out based on how I play that I like taking sort of, um, what did I call it? I think I called it at the time controlled risks. Um, I will very rarely just say, screw it, I'm going to attack now. Um, And if I couldn't see clarity in a position, I generally would try to steer away from it. And it it was actually how I am in life. I very rarely take big, big risks. Um, I like to understand it. And when, among the things is it's actually nice about chess is losses are super important um, because it. When I used to play in tournaments, I would dwell on a loss for hours, days, just going over what did I do wrong. <laughs> but that the. It, it helped you in life because when you, you failed at something, it actually helped you being able to process it, being able to do something. And, and especially in a tournament where you have a game, you know, maybe in 30 minutes or if it's a big tournament the next day. So you have to deal with it, deal with the pain, deal with the regret, deal with all of it because you have to be a hundred percent again for the next game. And I think that carries over. You know, in the in the corporate world, it carries over a ton <laughs> um, because there's a ton of disappointment. Um, but you have to be back on your game the very next day. Mm. Yeah, I feel I, what I have particularly noticed is um, the importance of sort of emo- of emotional control. That when uh, when the little kind of beep goes off and I know that there's an opponent there, usually online, I I can feel my blood pressure going up and I can feel myself feeling kind of anxious before the before I've even played my first move, before the game has even begun. And in that kind of anxious state, it's very tempting to quickly respond to things. So you see a piece being attacked and you just move it away without thinking about whether you can take the attacker or whether it's worth exchanging. And likewise, you see an opportunity to attack, so you just go into it without without fully considering the whole position. Yeah. And uh, chess really, um, if your opponent is at all competent, you are instantly and devastatingly punished for that kind of impetuousness. That's true. And since I'm a, an impetuous person in real life, I think it's a very useful corrective to that. Do you have a favorite player um, uh, currently and from history? And if so, what are the characteristics of that player for you? Oh, favorite player from history, maybe Alexander Alukin. 
Um, favorite current player, maybe uh, Leveronian. Uh, both quite exciting attacking players. My favorite uh, would be Karpov. Uh, his style was that controlled style. Uh, his whole playing style was figuring out what you need, his opponent needed to do, and then making that not make sense anymore. Um, and I think I, I really like that style. I'm drawn to it. I don't really have a current favorite. Uh, I think, and, and in fact, I might chalk this up to computers. Players play very differently now, especially at the top levels. So I feel, in a sense, they're almost mimicking computers. There, there's uh, that prophylactic approach to chess, sort of, I don't know, it's not there. I don't really see it anymore. Maybe I'm just out of touch with who the, the current players are, but you know, people like Magnus and even Caruana and, and the others, they sort of, they inhabit this space of chaos that only they can navigate. And I don't like chaotic situations. Yeah, I was going to ask you both, actually, how you think, uh, whether you think the impact of um, computers has changed how people play. Um, and also what you think about the impact of AlphaGo in particular. AlphaGo is very, very interesting um, in that it plays kind of like, more like a human than, than um, most computer programs do. It's more willing to sacrifice material for positional advantages. I don't know. I, I think computers are great um, for being able to show us mistakes. Uh, like that's, <laughs> that's very good. Uh, but other than that, for, for people at normal level, below Jack's level, <laughs> computer, that's all computers are really good for, for like showing us our obvious mistakes um, at Jack's level and higher. Uh, I don't know. I think it's taken some of the beauty out of the play because uh, when IMs and such face each other, they're so well prepared, usually often with computer lines. Um, and then uh, computer moves aren't that intuitive. Uh, to most of us. And I think even that at the IM and GM level, the understanding is there because they've spent hours looking at the position that the computer said, yeah, this makes sense. And so they then sit there and like figure out, okay, why does it make sense? But for the rest of us, it doesn't really look like it makes all that much sense. Um, I know that. It, it, no? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I may be an outlier here because I, I do very little pregame preparation. One thing I like about chess is just sort of um, the, how different the game is at the different levels. Uh, and I've always yes. been taken by how difficult it is to understand other people at other levels. So somebody, I will talk to somebody who is a, you know, a 1600 and they'll tell me about their game. Um, and I'll look at the game and all I'm seeing is, oh, this is all wrong. This is, this is terrible. The whole way through, that's what I'm seeing. Um, and I'll give them feedback as, as to things I, I'm seeing. And then I imagine that it's the same for me with higher rated players. Because when I play a GM or I play an IM, they blow me away generally. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, I tried, but what are they seeing? Like, how terrible was my game from their eyes? I, I, I'm fascinated by that because I guess back in the, in the real world, I also see parallels for that in terms of like areas of expertise, just how a lay person might speak to an expert. And it's just, I'm always wondering how, how are they perceiving each other? 
if yes, if it, this goes all the way up. If you if you um want want to um see an example from my games, check out my game against Michael Adams from the 2010 okay. British Championship. I I got abso- absolutely crushed in that one. Do you know why you got crushed? I, I played quite a pr- provocative opening, and um, he just uh. Played against it in such a way that I just couldn't couldn't do anything, and it's one of those horrible positions. In when I resigned, material was still dead level, but um, the computer has me as minus three, and there's just nothing I could do except shuffle pieces Ooh. backwards and forwards. And I'll, I'll review that game later. Yeah. What do you think are the fundamental things that are, that beginners are aren't able to do and are missing? The resisting urges um, for a beginner, it's when they don't know what to do, they, they, they push upon. Um, and Or when they're threatened, they immediately react. So you'll make a threat, and instead of like handling the threat, they'll just sacrifice a piece. And it's, it always confuses me. So um, a, a, a thing I try to tell them is um, breathe. When you see something that looks scary, breathe. When you don't know what to do, breathe. And then focus on um, the essentials. A chess player that, a beginner that follows a few basic, you know, maybe a list of 10 essential things will gain an amazing amount of points relative to a lot of other beginners. I'd, li- I'd like to know your list, Mansa. Oh, um, I made a thread about it before. So for beginners, um, the focus uh, is heavily on the center. Uh, make sure, put one or two pawns in the center. Um, get your pieces out. Your knights, usually a good ones to start with, bishops. Uh, get your king to safety. Um, and then while focusing on the center, uh, start getting your pieces in better position. So I used to teach the kids that every piece had a way it was happy and a way it was sad. Um, and so I would tell them, you, your job is to make your pieces happy. If you don't know what to do, you fought for the center, you've improved your your control of the center as much as you can, you don't know what to do, find the piece of yours that is the least happy and try to make it happier. Um, yes, the, the, the old uh, improve the position of your worst place piece, uh, Maxim. Yeah, a, and if you, if you do that, eventually your opponent will just do something kind of crazy and then you win. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there was someone on the English chess forum once who who um, posted a thread asking um what what you should do when you don't want to move anything because uh, because all your pieces are really well placed and I had to point out to him that if you don't, if you don't know where to move any of your pieces they're not well placed. <laughs> I'm going to ask some more questions uh, here from uh, Twitter. So um, a surprising number of my followers play chess and have questions for you. Um, my friend Vidget asks, most players, while they use the pieces in concert, have a favorite chess piece. Do you have a favorite chess piece and why? Uh, probably the bishop. Yeah, okay. I don't think I have a favorite, but I will say I ended up being biased in favor of knights but actually think that's a bad thing, so I had to work against it. Um, because I would often give up the two bishops to get a knight, and it just it, it wasn't right. And I saw it, that, that pattern show up in my games over and over again. 
Um, so I had to actively work on that. Outside of that, I, I don't have uh, a favorite anymore. That's interesting because I feel knights are agents of chaos. Um, yeah, yeah. If you get them in the right place. Like a, a knight placed in the center, protected by a bishop, to me is actually one of the most beautiful things. Like aesthetically speaking, I don't know why. So the bishop, let's say the bishop is, uh, you know, far away, nice and safe, and the knight is just planted like right on a central square. That those knights are just really terrifying, and I know eventually my opponent will lose something. Um, but that is sort of one of those dream setups that you know, against strong opponents, they don't like giving to you. So, what would you, um, how would how would you advise people to study? Um, what are your more specific recommendations, both of you, for both for people who are just starting out and for people who are a bit more advanced? So, um, for example, somebody who's around an 1800 or 1900 Lee chess rating. My number one piece of advice is pl- play a lot uh, because if nothing else, you only find out what you need to study by playing and uh, see, seeing where you're going wrong. In terms of what, what I did in ter- terms of study, I uh, grew up before compu- computers were really a thing. I read a lot of chess books. I think my favourite chess chess book at the moment might be um, Secrets of Modern Chess Strategy by John Watson. That's one of those books where it's will tell you a lot about chess, but it, it will tell you more about chess if you've already read some more um, traditional middle game books before it. Maybe rated 1400 strength or whatever, you won't probably won't get a lot out of it. You'll get more out of something like um, Pac-Man's um, Complete Chess Strategy. Yes, it's a good follow-up once you've read and understood books like that. Manta? It depends on the strength. If someone is 1,800, I actually think that's a pretty strong uh, player. Even online, 1,800s usually. You know a lot of the, the basic stuff. Um, uh, for a lot of players, again, the basics will get you very far. Um, and even in terms of books, you don't need that many um, at the lower levels, really. Uh, if anything, tactics are the big things at that level. Understanding how to keep your pieces safe. And and now, like with uh, material on YouTube, the the key elements to get a player to a very high level are already there. Uh, like I think Daniel Naraditsky's, for example, uh, you know, this stuff isn't new, but just if you're always paying attention to who's undefended in your position, you will see a lot. If you're doing the same to your opponent, you'll see a lot. And I used to reduce this to my player, to, to uh, people I was coaching. Um, by telling them, always ask, why is the move wrong? Um, why is my opponent? Why is what my opponent just did a mistake? Um, why is this thing that I want to do a mistake? And I think a lot of that will get you very far in terms of your rating. And then once you're at the higher levels, okay, now the positional concepts become really important. Uh, so a, a class A, like you're 1800 and above. You know, not playing Blitz. Blitz is, I see Blitz as mostly for fun as opposed to for learning. But when you're playing at a 15 minutes or more games, uh, the positional things start to make a lot, become a lot more important. But even then, except at the master level, a lot of the nuances in the chess position don't matter that much um, if you play sort of fundamental chess. 
What what do you see as fundamental chess? Um, none of that stuff. Like focusing on the center, uh, developing mm. your pieces, keeping your king safe, keeping people protected. Um, you know, not throwing pawns forward. So like controlled pawn expansion. Um, and even when you're attacking, sort of, uh, you know, staying calm. Even then, when you're attacking, I'm not an attacking player by nature, so it's kind of a different mindset to me. Um, but still, I think calmness in that moment is very important. I think, uh, and learning the tactics, right? You know, forks get beginners a lot. It is the, probably why knights are one of the most terrifying. Um, pieces at lower levels because people don't see forks they don't look across the board uh, but even just that I, I think that ability to check yourself is probably the key feature that drives somebody from being a beginner at chess to, to, to going up uh, to higher levels mm, thank you I have a lot of questions here as to the specifics of what people should do if they know absolutely nothing about chess and want to start learning. And maybe we can um, put some of those, some resources for them into the show notes. Um, so I'll ask you both to send me later um, your links and suggestions for books and websites and things. Uh, and we can, we can create a little resource there in the show notes. John Morris asks, um, do you think chess is close to being solved, or will it be beyond reasonable estimates of future computing power? He says, heads up, limit hold'em poker has been effectively solved. I wonder if chess is a solvable game. I don't even think computationally it's possible, just because, um, you know, how many different positions there can be. Uh, Yeah, I don't see how you'd solve it. Like... Or what that would really entail, because well, to to travel every every tree to the end result, um, no, there's too many there's too many possible positions. I would say you you, you couldn't make a thirty two piece table basically. The universe isn't big enough. That's uh, <laughs> true. I don't know how far far we are from the um, point where every se- serious top level competitive game is a draw. Um, it's, it's the sort of thing where it regularly gets proposed and then something new gets found out about the game and people in the 1920s were wondering whether the game was getting solved and then uh, research that then came out showing that no, actually, well, there was a, a lot of stuff we haven't learned about it yet. To Jack's point on that, um, I remember this conversation... Uh, around Kasparov's time when he was dominant um, that yeah chess is approaching that place where everything is a draw like there's no point anymore because it's all a draw and then honestly speaking people like Magnus appeared um, and it they, they switch in a sense so the game for for them isn't necessarily it, it just it, it took on a different dimension it's not simply okay who could find the best move he started succeeding just in a space, as I said before, of chaos, where it's no longer just your ability to process, but it's your ability to understand, I don't know, a different level of dynamics. And so, I don't know, chess isn't just played at a logical level, I find. Um, the psychology and all that is just different now. I don't think it's it's meant to be something where like a math, a mathematical approach or a computational approach 
could ever truly master chess. Um, you know, they could tell you if a move is a blunder, sure, but uh, even just as people, the, the amount of dimensions a chess game is played at, even now at the top level again, I don't see it settling down um, anytime soon. It'll just become messier and messier. As, as, as we speak, the, the, grand, the Grand Swiss is going on. This, this top board game between Ferruja and Howell looks very messy at the moment. <laughs> See, I, I miss simple chess. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. If you want simple chess, try the board two game. Fashion Gravens, Caruana. That's probably more your style. You know, I, I watched a couple games of Caruana, and I I didn't like it. He was he was super aggressive, um, which you would like, I think, based on who you said your favorites are. And to me, it just seemed I didn't know. I don't even think he was sure that sometimes he played in that style of, um, I think it was Tao, uh, where he, he would just do something and he knows he's going to find his way through. But at the moment you look at it, you're like, well, is this going to work? And half of it is the other player thinking to themselves, did I miss something? Is this going to work? And I don't know. It's just with extreme confidence that he will find a way. And then, of course, he finds a way and he wins. And it's just, I'm actually fascinated by the game with him, uh, the tournament match um, with him and Magnus, where neither player could win. Yeah. I, that surprised me. Well, they both had chances to win in that match. Um, I think Carlson missed a win in game one and Caruana missed a win in game six. But yeah. So the World Championship is coming up quite soon. Yeah. And, um, I have heard that um, while world championships in the past, there have been a lot of draws in games at high level, as as you were mentioning, that it seems that this championship is likely to be more exciting and the likelihood of a draw is lower. Uh, is that right? And could you say something about um, how you feel about this upcoming world championship? Right. Um, so. The current champion is Magnus Carlsen. The challenger is Jan Pomliacci, who has quite a decent record in classical games against Carlsen. I think he beat him at the London Classic a few years ago. I think I think um, Carlsen will probably fancy his chances of winning a few a few games in that one because. I don't know what the rating gap between them is at the moment. I'll go and look it up. Probably like 100 points now. Okay, Carlson is currently rated 28.55, and Pomniacci 27.82. So, 73 points. 73 points. That's pretty big at this level. I, I think Magnus will win it. I don't really see much of a... I, I don't think it will be as tight as it was with Carolina. Yes. Um, so someone on Twitter has asked, if it were up to you, what would be the format for the World Chess Championship? Track you first. <laughs> right, yes. I I think I, I, I like the um, current system where um, you have a champion and a challenger who has to beat him in a classical match play. It, it means you get a succession of worthy champions uh, that everybody recognises as one of the all-time greats. I like that as well. Um, I, I don't like the I don't like the new f- time control format where they move into you know 
faster and faster games if no one's won at the classical ones. I don't like that. Um, I like the sort of old school, make them play. Um, keep going until... Actually, no, even don't even do that. Set the number of games, and if the challenger doesn't have a positive score at the end of those games, it's over. So if you can't beat a world champion in, after 12 games, then sorry, try again next time. That that's always how it used to be. I think the uh, last world championship match conducted under those rules was Kramnik against Lecco, sometime back in the two thousands. I think they're doing it for entertainment now, for the most part. Like, I don't know, a rapid game. I think what is it, it goes down to like twenty five and zero games. Um, no, that doesn't belong in a world championship match. And uh, one thing that has has clearly happened with computers is that you don't have adjournments during matches anymore. Mm-hmm. So those who watch the Queen's Gambit um, remember the scene where the match between Harmon and Borgov, the final match of the game, um, which is, I believe, based on a real match. So I think all the Queen's Gambit games were based on real games. Um, I have watched a video in which Magnus Carlsen is commenting on the Queen's Gambit. Um, and he says that there's very good chess in that in that series. It's proper chess um, because a few people have asked that question. Kasparov was a consultant on the series, but in any case, the game is adjourned, um, and uh, Borgov writes his move down on a little piece of paper and puts it in an envelope, and then they reconvene the next day. And obviously, that's no longer really possible because with computers you could just run the thing through a computer analysis uh overnight so do you think that that has changed that particular feature has changed the way the games are played right um i mean the the laws of chess do still allow for adjournments uh yes they're, they're much rarer than they used to be uh i think it's an improvement not to have adjournments because especially at the top levels um, when a game would be adjourned it wouldn't be the player trying to figure their way through it would be the the player and their team figuring their way through and you had some players who were experts Mm -hmm. at uh, analyzing those positions and also it was when you review old games it was you'd start noticing very weird moves around you know move 35 and you'd start realizing that it's simply just both players um, you know, shuffling a bit, not doing anything risky just because they know they're going to take it back to their team. So when you no longer know you have that escape where, you know, you're going to get a break and you get to figure it out overnight, you will just keep playing proper chess. I mean, you still do get that, that phenomenon where um, people don't, don't do anything much heading up to the time control and then <laughs> it's true. When, when they reach the time controls, blah suddenly start doing something because they've got the time to think about it. It's funny to see how incentives um, how incentives play a role in, in chess games of all places. I think it's interesting. Um, I, this is something that I've, I've heard a, a number of other people say, but um, the importance of blunders in chess versus in, um, in sport, for example, uh, where... You can be playing tennis, and if you're up, um, if you're if you're up a, a set and and a few games, and then you double fault, that might be 
um, that's not ideal, but it's, you're not going, if you're sufficiently up already, you're not going to lose the match. Whereas in chess, you can be completely dominating the other person throughout the game and then suddenly make a blunder, which inevitably leads to your, make a losing blunder, which inevitably leads to your destruction. Do you, do you agree that that's a way in which chess differs from a lot of other competitive activities? Units are more discreet in sports. Um, you have a bad moment, um, a bad serve, uh, you know, a, a badass game in tennis. Um, whereas in chess, it's it's this entire coherent position, right? So, if you lose your queen um, <laughs> by a blunder, uh, there's really no coming back. Like you give up a goal in in, in football, um, you know, your team could just go score two more. Um, in chess, yes, you could promote to another queen, but you need a lot of help from your opponent um, in general to win at a chess game. In fact, you can't win without help from your opponent. And so if you give up a queen, uh, it's very rare where your opponent will be that generous as to say, don't worry about it, I'll give you another one. Um, so it, it carries moves carry forward and the position stays. Um, so your previous mistakes don't fix themselves or you can't just forget your mistake because you still have to handle the consequences for the rest of the game. I think in terms of one blunt suddenly throw away a winning position, the closest physical sport to chess in this regard might be snooker, because uh, in, in snooker you can make a bad move and suddenly your opponent can clear up. Well, poker as well, right? <laughs> you, you go you go all <laughs> in and lose, and that's the end of it. So, I think that... Uh... Uh, I like your way of phrasing it, Mansa. And from now on, I'm going to describe myself as a helpful and generous chess player. (laughs) Very helpful and generous to my opponents. (laughs) Um, A a few more questions. Uh, One is, um, uh, someone asks, Uta Groschel asks, will chess remain unaffected by our increasing inability to concentrate for longer periods of time? Or are chess players just a small and select group um, that are able to who are able to ignore distractions? For me, I, I view there's different players in even in the chess world. Um, the bullet players, for example, where their game is a minute, that's perfect for the person who has no attention span or don't want to spend their time, you know, going through hours of chess. Um, and I do think it is really a select few who will do a chess game that's three hours long. But actually, one of the things I found is if someone finds themselves to be to have trouble um, concentrating, I actually do recommend chess for them because, and especially the longer games of chess, because it, it's an attempt at least to try to control that impulse—the impulse to get up and do something else. So everyone wants a way to withdraw. So you know, I'm. I was actually, I am actually one of those people. I love to multitask. I can't do one single thing. Um, but chess, especially longer games, forces me to. And so I appreciate that. It's like, you know, some people go camping to get away from it all. I play a longer game of chess to get away from it all. What do you think, Jack? Do you have anything to add? I'm not entirely sh- certain that I agree with the premise of the question. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean, Jack? I would need more convincing 
that atten- that attention spans or whatever are actually going down. Oh, I see. Okay, I think I see what you're saying. So, in a sense, it's that it's not that they're going down; they've they've just shifted. So we're seeing them in different places Maybe. in different ways. Yeah, nice, interesting. I like that. Uh, so, a couple of people have asked about the paucity of women in chess. Um, so, um, um, I gather the uh, about one in forty chess players are. Female at tournaments. So this is these are some stats that somebody has provided here on Twitter. I don't know how accurate they are, but one in forty seems like sounds a good about run. right from my experience at tournament play. Yeah, and uh, she says the ratio for grandmasters is roughly a thousand six hundred uh, to forty. Um, and um, why is that? Um, and does it matter? Why it is? I don't. I don't entirely know. Uh, I think one of the problems with about with communities with heavy gender biases is that to some extent they tend to be self perpetuating. Um, I imagine it must be quite hard psychologically to be the only woman in an activity where everyone else is a man. So when I used to coach, um, one of the saddest things I remember. Um, by the way, so at the lower levels, um, it's like soccer or football. That's that at the lower levels. I don't didn't see that much in the way of gender disparity. Um, there were a lot of little girls who were playing chess, uh, and you know, to Jack's point, it often is you know the 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 community itself. The family pushes the kids into it, so that's normal. Families push kids into a lot of activities, and I remember I had this student. She was eleven. And she was good. Um, in fact, a, a lot of my coaching was helping her realize how good she was um, because she didn't actually realize how good she was. And I remember one time she told me, I think I'm thinking of giving up chess. And I was shocked because I'm like, you have so much talent, so much potential. Why would you even do that? And she said, um, because boys don't like girls that play chess. And I actually almost cried at the moment because I realized here was this person with so much potential who could, if she pushed herself, you know, could go very far in the game. And she was thinking if she pushed herself, if she continued to do this game, which clearly she was liking and being successful at, she would see it as her having to sacrifice. And I remember I tried, I don't know, this speech was me hoping. I tried to explain to her that, listen, you are an awesome person. Um, You don't need to worry about whether boys like girls who play chess because here's the thing you like chess and any boy that wouldn't like you for playing chess isn't a boy you should want to like you anyway um and this is this i know how i i've been on the other side of those conversations it's an attempt to uplift and make it feel positive but i know that dynamic and sadly more often than not it wins out where you know if it's not the boys who don't like her playing chess it will be her friends it will be the friends who want to go out and party or go, you know, to the movies. And when you say, no, I have to study chess, um, you know, it's very rare that you're going to be the cool kid. And people like being the cool kids. So we have all these dynamics that work against, um, I'd say, girls um, yeah. who like chess. And it is it is a tough one to reverse. And you need almost like a larger scale thing to reverse mm-hmm. that kind of dynamic. You need an event where whereby it's cool where it is good to be that girl who plays chess. And I don't see it 
socially right now where that exists. So the norm is they're filtered out, sadly. With, with respect to that, so I, I remember um, some statistics someone posted up. I, I don't know how much things have changed since then, but a few years ago, someone actually looked through the English Chess, Chess Federation's grading list and they came up with a statistic that um, the average man on the list was aged 31 and the average woman was aged 13. And we have some, there are some really cool women who work hard at pushing against this. Um, yeah. So one I follow on Twitter is uh, Jennifer Shahade. Um, the Polgar sisters uh, as well have done a great job. And actually, I really like that the Queen's Gambit came out and it was actually a hit because she she wasn't the healthiest character, mind you. But it was just to see that she was cool, I think, yeah. can really help. Um, and you kind of need more of that. You just need that image of chess for women being a cool thing. Um, I, I don't know. And I think actually computers, in computers, we have a similar problem. And it actually tends to tie together. It's where the culture is that guy who's willing to withdraw. Um, you know, I don't care about being socially cool. And, and that tends to be the image that, that is dominant yeah. um, in both spheres. and. We sort of just need, I've actually, actually, a bit, people don't know who I am offline mostly, but in my real job, that's actually one of the, some of the things I focus on is trying to change the image of tech um, so that it is more appealing to people who normally don't see themselves reflected in the culture or that, that archetypal image. And I think chess is a place we definitely need to work on to move that uh, as well. I wanted to ask you both, um, this is another question from Twitter, uh, my fellow Robert Chalice asks, why is it that such a slow cerebral game has been seen as great source material or backdrop for dramatic films and scenes? <laughs> That's a good question. Actually, maybe because of the premise of the question. So chess is seen as a cerebral game. So when you want to sort of illustrate intelligence and like intellectualism it's a simple image right you yeah. show a chess set and it says oh this person's smart they're a thinker they're thinking multiple moves ahead of what's going on so it illustrates really quickly and simply always often with very terrible chess positions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so um would you encourage other people to play chess if somebody is listening who's never played before would you encourage them to take it up and um, if so, why? And if not, why not? And the answer might be different depending on who you imagine that person to be. So you might uh, recommend it to some people and not others. Uh, I would recommend it, yes. So probably pretty much anyone because it's quite an easy game to try out and see if you like it. Yep, I 100% agree with Jack. I would recommend chess to everybody. Um Sometimes people say, oh, I'm in my 50s. Should I start playing chess? Absolutely. Uh, there's value to chess at whatever age, at whatever level, um, which is actually one of the most beautiful things about chess is, you know, I've watched people who might not even be 800 rated play each other. And uh, I'm there judging, but I tr sometimes try to keep that judgment to myself because they're having fun. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's a beautiful, it, it is a beautiful game. Um, and it's just beautiful for people. And 
we don't have to go always too deep into it psychologically as to what it represents. It's just, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a nice escape and it's a nice attempt to outplay somebody. Um, and yeah, it could be used to represent other things as well, but there's just so many different dimensions to it. And uh, I don't know, for me, I appreciate the, the self-reflection that it gives, but sometimes somebody just wants to checkmate somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you wished I had asked you or feel that we haven't covered that you would have liked to have covered? I don't think, think, think so really. Uh, Same here. Um, you know, everyone who's seen me on Twitter, I, I've tried to post more chess on Twitter. Um, actually, maybe that's one thing. So what, what I do love about chess, um, especially in, on, on a place like Twitter is people could fight about everything, um, in the world. And yet, chess is almost this escape from all that. It, it's a separate world uh, from all that. And actually, now that I think of it, maybe that's some of the draw of chess. Um, and even the kids who go into it sometimes, it, is it gives you that escape. It is a separate world. Um, and, and if anything, you know, we talk about things like meritocracy. It's not fully the case, but in the moment of a chess game, um, you know, it's generally the case that it is the most equal something can be, you know, yeah. accounting for accounting for uh, for ratings and, and whatnot. You know, the rules are there. The rules are locked in and it's now a battle. And what I always remember, and I, I taught my kids this, one of the beautiful things about chess is you, if you lose, it's always because you made a mistake. Like you yeah. never lose simply because things aren't fair. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, we have these culture discussions, for example, and I don't know, I always found chess this the perfect demonstration of personal responsibility. It's that if you run out of time, it's because you didn't move fast enough. If you, you get checkmate, it's because you made a mistake. And so it, it it's that perfect place to say, you know, you could separate your things from all sort of other factors and say, how could I have done better here? And I don't know, I find that very valuable. I think I put a lot of weight in sort of, um, the reflective nature of chess. And, uh, yeah. Thank you both very much for joining me. And uh, I will put links to um, Jack to your chess site um, and um, maybe to both of your, well, Mansa to your Lee Chess account, Jack maybe to your account as well, um, yeah. if, you're, if you're okay with that. Yes. And uh, um, to any other, uh, any other resources that, you send me and we decide to include, well, I'll make a little, um, a little document with resources for people. And uh, thank you so much, both of you. Thank you, Jack. Take care. And you. Thank you so much for listening to Two for Tea. Your patronage helps to keep this podcast alive and flourishing. Your support means the world to me. Stay well Stay happy and have a wonderful week.